Section 39 of Canada, South America, Central America, Mexico, and the West Indies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. The World's Story, Volume 11. Canada, South America, Central America, Mexico, and the West Indies. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 39. How the Northwest Company Lost Fort Gabriel, about 1820, by Sir Gilbert Parker. Brian Kingley had captured Fort Gabriel, making prisoners of two trappers who had been to it more caretakers than garrison. He expected that there would be fighting, but did not think that the Hudson's Bay Company would attempt to recapture till the springtime. Fort Saviour, as he knew, was the nearest fort, but of the name of its chief factor he was ignorant. He did not, as we said elsewhere, relish fighting the followers of the Hudson's Bay Company, but he would not be the aggressor, and that would make the matter easier. Holding the fort against odds would be pleasant enough to him. He loved rather than avoided danger. Those were fighting days. Waterloo and Trafalgar were still news to the world and present topics to all British men. The Greeks were fighting for independence. War was in the air. Bryan had but thirty men, voyagers, trappers, soldiers. He had but a small field of resources behind him, while the Hudson's Bay Company had resources practically unlimited, for they had a line of forts from which reinforcements could come. It was a forlorn hope, but the Northwest Company had promised him more men in the spring, and it was possible that the rising of the Indians might be successful, although this was not a matter which had his sympathy. Anything which roused the Indians against either company he considered an evil. He set himself to work to put the fort in as good condition as was possible in winter. For a time he was busy enough. Then came days when there was nothing to do. He had little to read. He thought a good deal, more steadily than he had done for years. He occupied himself much with his past, not altogether pleasant in retrospect. With Scotland more than with Ireland, was he becoming a renegade? When once or twice he thought of the flute which he heard distinctly on the Red River, and he wished it were at Fort Gabriel, whoever played it. The songs he imagined lilting from it were not Irish but Scotch, not Gary Owen in glory, but the Bush Aboon Trocraire. And when he thought of Scotland much, and of a particular event of a certain year, he became disturbed and longed for action to take the place of thoughts. This desire for activity at last overcame him. He had not the faculty for waiting, possessed by Chief Factor Venlaw. Two or three times a few men had been permitted to go out and look for moose, but they had been limited to certain boundaries and had not been very successful. Brian, bored by his inactivity, determined at last to go out himself with a party. There seemed no probability of any attack from the Hudson's Bay Company, and in any case those left behind in the fort would be able to resist an assault and hold the place till the return of the sportsmen. There was the danger of being cut off from the fort, but that had to be risked. One morning, very early, they issued forth. They would probably not have stepped so briskly had they known that a band of the Hudson's Bay Company men were watching them from a pine grove not far from the fort. Brian had more than once debated on cutting down this grove since it would afford a good shelter for an attacking party, but he had hesitated because it sheltered the fort from the west winds. He contented himself with having it watched and regularly searched. He was not, however, aware that the grove contained a very effective hiding place which was likely to be known to the members of a Hudson's Bay Company party. This very morning, before the hunters started, there had been a search, but it was perfunctory, and the twenty-odd men, led by Chief Factor Venlaw, 
lay concealed under the very noses of the searchers, who might easily have been captured had it been according to Venlaw's program. He hoped, however, to employ strategy, the more so because he had heard one of the men from the fort speak of the projected hunt. When the searchers returned to the fort, and soon afterwards he saw Brian and his handful of men issue forth, he determined on his plan of action. About noon would be the slackest time at the fort. Moreover, anyone who might chance to pass out during the morning would be likely to return at noon. His action should be governed by this event if it occurred. If not, another plan, based upon another supposition, should be put into play. It was his intention to make a rush upon the gates at the moment anyone should be entering, and so, if possible, enter the fort. A half-breed left the fort about nine o'clock, and they saw him returning about noon. The distance between the grove and the gates was about one hundred yards. Venlaw's men were all swift and noiseless runners, and were likely to accomplish the distance and do the thing successfully, though one would have said the odds were heavy against them. The half-breed came slowly on, bearing a part of an animal he had killed on the shoulder between him and the grove, so that he could not, without removing it, or turning towards the pines, see anyone in that direction. Venlaw turned to his men. Don't fire until I give the word, but enter the fort, guns cocked, and cover every man that shows himself. Remember, capture, not bloodshed, is our aim. A pound of pemmican and three plugs of tobacco to each man if we do the thing successfully. Keep close to me. Speak no word. Are you ready? He raised his hand, holding it poised till the half-breed was almost at the gate. Then he gave the signal, and with great swiftness they sped upon the fort. The half-breed did not hear them till the pad of moccasined feet was almost upon him, and at that moment the gate was opened. Before he could cry out, a hand was clapped on his mouth and he was drawn backwards to the ground, and Venlaw and his men rushed in before it could be closed upon them. The sentinel who had opened the gate and another stood an instant bewildered, then swung their guns shoulderwards, but Venlaw and one of his followers sprang upon them and seized the weapons. Both went off, but fortunately without injury to anyone. The men were disarmed. The rest of the garrison now came armed and crowding through the doors of the fort to the yard. Venlaw's followers instantly leveled their rifles at them. The factor raised his hand toward the besieged. Don't fire or attempt resistance, he said. It will be useless bloodshed. We are masters. The Hudson's Bay Company wishes only its rights. You've done your duty in obeying your captain, but now stack your arms, for I shall command you henceforth. The men were under cover of the rifles. They saw that resistance must be made with great loss of life, and even then with little chance of success, and they dropped the butts of their guns upon the ground still, however, holding them. One of the men, he who had been left in command, spoke. What will you do with us if we surrender? Take you over to Fort Savior, and from there send you south of the Hudson's Bay Company. Stack your arms. At that moment, a woman who had accompanied the expedition appeared behind the man. She suddenly raised a pistol at the factor and fired. The bullet grazed his temple, bringing blood, and tore away a piece of his fur cap. He staunched the blood with his buckskin glove, and it froze on his cheek as it came. But for a moment he did not speak, and he did not change his position. One of the men beside the woman seized her arm. It was her husband. Venlaw spoke now, but not to his assailant. Ground your arms, he said sternly to the group about the woman. But she shrieked out, Fire on them! Fire on them! Oh, you cowards! I could kill you myself! She struggled in her husband's arms. The captured men silently laid their rifles down, and now the factor spoke to the woman, his glove stiff with the blood from the still-bleeding wound. You fight hardly fair, and I'm not sure but what you gave you ought to get. You might have waited till you saw what we intended. You were foolish. But we will not quarrel with you if you will get us a tin of tea and cook us some of this fresh meat. 
pointing to the venison which the disarmed and captured half-breed had brought, for we've had little enough to eat these two days past, and we have work to do yet today. As for your husband, if he is here, I promise you shall go with him wherever he goes. The woman was overcome by the factor's coolness and quiet speaking. She stood for a moment as if dumbfounded, then turned and went into the fort. Like most women of such impulses, she was soon after as earnest in making the tea and cooking the venison as she had been in her murderous attack upon the factor. Meantime, the prisoners were put in well-guarded rooms. The weather grew colder as the day went on. Decisive preparations were made to receive Brian and his men. Toward sundown, a watchman gave the word that the hunters were returning. Venloff formed his men advantageously and more or less out of sight in the yard, with instructions, as before, not to fire until he gave the word. Brian and his followers had had a successful day and were in high spirits. On the fort, the Northwest Company's flag was still flying. Venlaw was too cautious to think of lowering it yet. When within a few yards of the gates, one of Brian's half-breeds gave a sharp call as a signal for opening the gates. It was answered from within by one of the factor's men. When the men were immediately at the gates, they opened, and they came in eagerly, for they were hungry. Before they grasped the situation, they were nearly all in, and then Brian became aware that rifles were threatening him from the windows of the fort and from the yard. He saw that they were in a trap, but he was not inclined to yield tamely. He caught his rifle to his shoulder with his eye upon the leader of the invaders. On the instant, he recognized this leader as Andrew Venlaw. He was dumbfounded. He lowered his gun. Behind him, his followers were still crowding in at the gate, covered by the rifles. The factor stepped forward. I think, he said, it were wiser to have no resistance. You've lost this game. Save your life for a better. Venlaw! Andrew Venlaw, said the other, finding his voice. Yes, that is my name, was the cold reply. Order your men to stack their arms. We have you at an advantage. Brian glanced at the carcass of the moose which his men had brought with them, and with a little of his old humor answered, We got our venison at a price something unusual. Then he glanced round, saw the hopelessness of the position, and added, Pile your arms, my men. We've lost Fort Gabriel. End of section 39. This recording is in the public domain. Recording by Colleen McMahon.